Thank God today, and this is Pastor Adams, the president and the founder of Truth Matters Ministries here in Atlanta, Georgia. Thank you once again for giving us the opportunity to be host in attendance of this very crucial and very vital ministry of contending for the faith that has once and for all been delivered unto the saints, according to Jude 3. And I'm just so delighted that we have an opportunity today to share on a very important, very, very instrumental and a very cataclysmic topic, which is called Islam. And the reason we call it cataclysmic because we are seeing two entire worldviews clashing and the worldviews that are clashing, it falls within the confines of the rise of Islam. And today our desire is to ensure that we equip the body of Christ and that we can give in a word that can help those who have been ensnared and those who've been taken captive and blinded by the errors of Islam, that they might see the light of Christ and embrace the liberty of his gospel, that they can walk in freedom. So before we get into our topic today, we want to just pause and pray. Now, Father, we thank you for this day that we haven't seen before. You told us that from the rising of the sun to the setting of the same, that your name should be praised. And Lord, we lie prostrate in our heart before you. We bow our hearts and our heads before your magnificent, awesome greatness. Lord, we thank you today that you are Jehovah Shalom. You are the Aichia. You are the Adonai, the Elohim, the El Elyon. You are the first. You are the last. You are the beginning and the end. You are the Alpha and the Omega. You are he, Lord God, that made and laid the foundations of the earth. Lord, this universe, every mountain and every stream within this planet earth in which we abide, Lord, every ocean and every sea, there's nothing that is outside of your hand. Nothing is outside of your creative ability and work. We thank you, Lord God, that you hold all things together by your word. We thank you today, Lord God, that heaven is your throne. The earth is your footstool. You said that the clouds are the very dust of your feet. Lord, you're awesome. You're great and you're grand today. We glorify you, God, because you're worthy of praise. You're worthy of worship. Lord, we lay our hearts. We lay our possessions. We lay our pride. Lord, we lay everything before your feet. We cast our crowns before you because you are the king of kings. You are the Lord of lords. And we glorify you. Holy, 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 holy is the Lord God of hosts today. And we're just so thankful for the God that we serve. And we just pray today that every person who is involved in Islam, every person who has a heart and a passion for those who have been blinded by Islam, that there will be a breakthrough today, that there will be an opportunity to give life and light to someone in Jesus' name. And we're so mindful today of the words that were spoken by Mark Twain. He said that a lie will travel all around the circumference of this world before truth can ever get its boots on. And one thing that I, I love is the words of Benjamin Franklin. He said, just half a truth 
is nothing more than a big, great lie. And I'm so mindful of the words that were spoken by Blaise Pascal. He said, truth is so obscure in these days. And he said that falsehoods have been so well established. He said that unless we love the truth, he says that we can't even know it. And today in this Truth Matters podcast, we pray that the truth of God's word will prevail and that it will permeate the hearts of every listener. Thank God today for our listeners in Singapore, all of our partners that are in Ghana. There's so many persons who support this ministry throughout Australia, Puerto Rico, the Philippines and Ireland, Canada, the United States, and also in the UK. We just thank God for all of you. And today we're going to dive into this teaching on Islam. And as we approach this topic, we think it's very vital that we first understand what is called Islamic structure and its composition. Excuse me. So for those in our listening audience today, Islam is a major religion in the world. It's one of the, the, the really major religions that is in the world. Today it boasts over 1.4 billion adherents. And based upon research, there's an estimation that it's going to take overtake Christianity as the, as the world's largest religion in just a few short years. Just think of that. And in spite of that, most Christians understand very little about Islam. And as a result, most are very apprehensive to share their faith with those who consider themselves to be Muslims or Islamic. But we at Truth Matters, we're poised today, and our intent is to provide an overview of essential variances that Islam has taken away from Scripture and from Orthodox truth, along with our endeavors to highlight the very cogent biblical principles to assist all of our listeners in fulfilling the great commission that's outlined in Matthew 28, 19, where it tells us to go out into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe everything that Christ has given them. And also to assist us in our evangelistic posture, according to 1 Peter 3.15, where it says, Sanctify the Lord God in our hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks us of the hope that lieth within us with reverence and with trembling and humility. So, as we begin to get into these truths, our desire is to begin to scale the language barrier. It's so important, and any person who is involved in evangelism or apologetic ministry where you're outreaching and you're sharing your faith with those who don't have a biblical orientation or who are involved in a religious construct or some uh, religious movement, you have to understand and scale the language barrier. There are so many people today who use the word Jesus. You might say Jesus, and you might think that your definition of Jesus is the same understanding and definition that they carry for Jesus. But let's think about it for a minute. Who is the Jesus of the Jehovah Witnesses? The Jesus of the Jehovah's Witnesses is the Archangel Michael, the first created being. Who is Jesus of the Mormons? He is the spirit brother of Satan. 
who is the Jesus of those who are involved in uh, Scientology and Christian science? Well, he's nothing but a mind implant. Who is the Jesus of those who are involved in Islam? And we'll discover today that he's just a prophet. He's not divine, nor is he deity. So today we think it's very important that we understand terms and define those terms, which is going to help us understand and how we can be more effective in presenting Christ's truths to those who are involved in Islam. And the first one we're going to uh, uh, understand today is what's called the Shahada. What is that? It is a phrase that means there is no God but Allah. This is what Muslims say. They always recite the Shahada, which means there is no God but Allah is declared daily by Muslims. See, another thing we must understand is Islam is divided into two major traditions. The first one is what's called the Sunnis. They are by far the largest of the two major sects of Islam. It comprises of about 80% of all persons who call themselves Muslims. See, the rift between those who were Sunnis originally caused was caused by who would succeed Muhammad. Since Muhammad failed to personally appoint a successor before he died, the Sunnis contended that one should be elected. And then there's another uh, faction or major group of Islam, and it's called the Shiites. See, now they, on the other hand, insisted that he should come from the bloodline of Muhammad. So the successor was supposed to be someone who came as a direct descendant of Muhammad. See, the Shiites strongly feel that Ali, Muhammad's cousin, should have been the rightful successor. So because of that, there's been a rift because of succession, because of authority, and because of who would actually be the person who would stand in as the leader or as the authority after Muhammad died. Now, another faction of Islam is what's called the Sufi. Now, the Sufis are a mystical sect. They're found within Shiite and Sunni branches. Now, their distinction is that they focus on a personal relationship with God. The roots of the Sufis stem from Muslims protesting that secularism of the other sects, and they desired a more conservative mode, even adopting the clothing and the manners of Syrian Christian monks wearing the Suf. Thus, they were given the name the Sufis. Now, Islam operates by the calendar of the moon. Thus, the crescent moon being its symbol, Islam recognizes three holy cities. On the top is Mecca, then behind that is Medina, and then lastly, Jerusalem. Now, in Medina, the Quran revealed the Shararia, which is the holy law of Islamic theocracy. Please take note of these distinctions. Now, the legal teachings of the Sharia in the essentials guide Muslims to this day. So when you're talking and when you're sharing your faith with Muslims, make sure that you're well acquainted with the legal teachings of the Sharia, because those are the essentials that Muslims guide, that guide Muslims even until the 21st century. Now, the eight components uh, of the Sharia is the Quran, which is revealed in Sharia, 
the holy law of the Islamic theocracy. All of those are a part of it. Now, the eight components consist of the Ummah, which is faith in Allah versus tribal bloodlines. The second one is justice, being merciful versus operating within the paradigm of eye for an eye. And then there is the manumission, which means being merciful to slaves and to servants. And the next one is what's called the right to life, meaning not killing children and babies. And the next one is what's called marriage. Women marry Muslim men only. But for Christians, remember this. Polygamy was also permitted within the Sharia. Then the next one is called Adhan, which is the call to prayer. And you will find that within the uh, teachings of Islam, the call of prayer is a very important aspect of fulfilling their religious obligations. And then the next one is what's called the Quibla, which is the direction in which you pray. In which you pray. Now, uh, the next one is what is called the toleration. And what that really entails is that Muslims are to tolerate and allow other religions. And just as a side note, it's amazing that the Sharia has these as the essentials or the guide that Muslims are supposed to live by day by day. But we'll see that when you start looking at the Quran, the Quran has very conflicting and contrary admonitions and exhortations regarding what the Muslims' toleration should be for those outside of Islam. And then there's something that is, no, that is um, known as uh, the total configuration of the Sharia. Now, as we move on, Islam rests on five precepts. So we have the eight essentials, which is the Sharia, but they have five precepts. What are they? The Shahada, witness and submission to Allah. The second one is the Salat, which is the daily prayer. And then there is the Zakat or the Zakat, which means giving of alms. And then there is the Sawam which is fasting and there's uh, you know the the annual Ramadan where so many persons who are involved in is Islam they go through uh, the Ramadan and then there's the Hajj now what is the Hajj it is the pilgrimage that you make to Mecca which is their most holy city and every Muslim is exhorted and recommended to make the pilgrimage to Mecca for the Hajj before they die. Now that we look at some of the definitions and some of the terms and the structure of Islam, we're going to go ahead and take a look at the history. How did Islam come into, come into being? How did it actually come uh, to its current formation? Well, the history of uh, Islam can be traced to one Muhammad. We br briefly addressed him. He's an Arab that was born in Mecca, and he was born around 570 A.D. And Muhammad, he died in 632 A.D. Muhammad, he claimed to be a prophet. And his being a prophet and his 
mission was to restore the true religion and praise to Allah. That is what he claims the reason that Allah chose him. Now, just as they teach Jesus was only a prophet for his time, Muhammad means that he is the one who is to be praised. That's what his name means, the one who is praised. The term Muslim means one who submits. So when a person says, I'm a Muslim, all they're really saying is that I'm one who submits. So let's just uh, parallel that with a Christian. Someone says, uh, Manny, Pastor Adams, are you uh, a Muslim? I could say, yeah, I am a Muslim. Why is that? Because I'm one who submits. Submits to what? I submit to the Creator. Who is the Creator? God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. So I submit to His Word. I submit to His will. I submit to His Spirit. I submit to His Lordship. So in essence, I could call myself a Muslim without being involved in Islam. See, Islam is a term that means submission. So, the the Islam, the, the, the daily average everyday Muslim, they will call themselves a follower of Allah. And the reason that they are called a Muslim is because they are one who submits. Now, the main text, we in the Christian world, we are told that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for, for doctrine, for correction, for reproof, and instruction in righteousness. And for the Christian, Genesis to Revelation is God's inspired holy word. But for the person who is a member of Islam and who calls himself a Muslim, they consider the Quran to be God's most holy and perfect word. So the word Quran itself, it means recitation, referring to revelations that Allah allegedly gave to Muhammad. There's another term we must understand, which is called the Caliph. It's an Arabic term for deputy. And I'm sure that many of us in America, even if we don't have a very strong appreciation for Islam, we've heard of the term Ayatollah. And based upon what happened in Iran in 1979, there was a term that uh, was plastered across all of Western, the Western world. It was Ayatollah Khomeini. And all the word Ayatollah refers to as a spiritual leader in the Shiite sect. Now, Allah is defined as the unique God who possesses all the attributes of per perfection and beauty in their infinitude. So whenever a Muslim uses the word Allah, they're referring to the unique God who possesses all the attributes of perfection and beauty in their infinitude. So at first glance, Islam appears to be compatible with a lot of, of what's within Christianity. Many believe that Muslims believe the same, believe in the same God as Christians. They go like, well, okay, it's still the same God. We just believe in God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, and we believe in the name of Jesus. Well, they just happen to call God Allah. So there's not really any difference. They're still serving God just like we're serving God. But I want to caution you today. And as we go through this exposition, we're going to find that there is a great distinction 
and a great variance between the God of the Bible and the so-called God Allah of Islam. See, it must also be mentioned that Islam does not believe in the biblical doctrine of the Trinity. What do you mean by that, Pastor Adams? They don't believe in the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. They don't believe that Allah, who they call the unique God who possesses all the attributes of perfection and beauty in their infinitude, is the God of the Bible, which is clearly understood and revealed as the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Muslims desire is to submit to the point where he can hold back the judging arm of Allah and inherit eternal life in an earthly paradise of gluttony, sexual gratification. That's really the, the main aim of their submission. They submit to Allah only to the point to where he will hold back the judging arm so that they can inherit eternal life in an earthly paradise. What do they do in that earthly paradise? They can eat everything they want, just indulge and splurge in every activity, have sexual gratification and orgies with virgins throughout all eternity. See, Muslims have no concept of God as a loving and a compassionate father. And we're going to illuminate and expand upon that later. To the Muslim, God is not only a harsh, wrathful God. Even though he is, he is those things too, they only see him as a harsh and wrathful God. Yes, God does have wrath. Yes, God can be harsh. But the God of the Bible, the revelation that he's given, and how he's revealed himself, he's let us know that he is love. And one thing you will never find in the Quran, in any of the Islamic writings, is a God of love. The Quran mentions only two verses that describe God as even being loving and compassionate. However, there is no verse, there is no surah or evidence that God has any love or compassion towards mankind. Chew on that for a minute. To the Muslim, God has no likeness. They say he's transcendent. He's unknowable. He is neither spirit, nor do they consider him physical. But one thing we have to understand, there is a difference between the God of Islam and the God of Christianity. Why? Because the scriptures declare in John 4.24 that God is a spirit. But to the Muslim, Allah, Allah does not resemble his creatures or mankind in any way. So when the Bible says in Genesis that God made us in his image, Muslims say that the God of Islam, Allah, has no representation, has no identification with mankind. That he's neither spirit nor physical. See, the Muslim prophet Muhammad, if we look back at history, was born in a town that was called Abdullah near the western coast of Arabia. He died two months after Muhammad was born. And this is something that's very important 
and he was born to Amina who died when he was six years old. So Muhammad's mom's name was Amina and his daddy died two months after he was born. Mecca was a large commercial city known for the what is called the Kaaba or the cube a building famous for its 360 idols containing images of the moon god. Who is the moon god? The moon god is Habal, Elat, El Uza, and Manat. What is that? Well, those are the idols of the moon god that were worshipped in uh, Mecca back in 570 AD and also it has a presence of what is called the black stone Muhammad's family was relatively poor of the what they call the Quarish tribe it was the patriarch of the tribe fear who Muslims claim to be the descendant of Ishmael and an inheritor of God's promises to Hagar according to Genesis 21 and 18 they go on to say that after the death of his mother he was sent to live with his grandfather whose name was Abd al-Mutal, who provided a Bedouin foster mother for him. Her name was Halima, and he was raised in the desert by Halima. After the death of his grandfather, at the age, at the age eight, he returned to Mecca to live with his uncle, who was Abu Talib. At age twenty-five, Muhammad married a wealthy forty-year-old widow whose name was Khadija. After she proposed to him, Muhammad remained with Khadija for 25 years, and they had two sons who died in their infancy. They also had four daughters. And after Khadija died in 620 AD, Muhammad then married a widow of a disciple and a seven-year-old, a seven-year-old, who was named Ayesha. His seventh wife was his ex-daughter-in-law, his ex-daughter-in-law. And by the time of his death, he had 12 wives and two concubines. Interestingly enough, the Quran says in Surah 4 and 3 that it limits the number of wives to four. Hmm. And in Surah 431, it prohibits the marriage to a daughter-in-law. just wanted you to chew on that for a minute. Now, finally, Muhammad died in June 8, 632, Ano Domini. And after his death, Islam's successors, they wrested power and they conquered Iraq, Persia, Syria, Egypt, Tripoli, India, Sicily. And in Africa, Muslims under the rule of the Almoravids, they pillaged the capital of Ghana, Nubia, and a few small Christian nations survived until the 1500s. And our intent is not to really give a history lesson, but you have to understand that there were about eight crusades that took place in history. And there were many wars and very intense battles that took place between the Christian world and the Muslim world and because of so many egregious teachings 
and many contrary teachings of the Quran and of Islam. Christianity and Islam, they fought for territory, they fought for authority, and they fought for just the ability to practice their religion uninhibited. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to um, end our teaching and exposition on Islam. And we're going to continue on next week in a continuation of Muslims and non-Muslim relations. So today we thank God for you tuning in to this Truth Matters podcast. Take some time and go back over the definitions and that we've mentioned, all the terms, the cities, the places, and all of the, the eight portions of the Sahara. And then also make sure that you are very familiar with the five principles that we shared as it relates to the, um, the Quran as well. So we thank God for you tuning in today. And we want you to continue to pray for us. Pray for your, your neighbor. Pray for your friend. Pray for those persons who you work with who are involved in Islam, who call themselves Muslims. Make sure that you just do an invitation to talk with them and ask them questions about their faith and find out where you may have opportunity to share the truth of God's holy word to those who are involved in the false teachings of Islam. God bless you and you pray for us at Truth Matters.